Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Given what we learned last night, will there be a response by Fox that says, this has gone too far, we need to rein it in? We have a great business model. We inflame passion. And passion is what drives a very loyal audience to come to us day after day and night after night. But it's just not a good model for the country. In line with all the things that I discuss here on a day-to-day basis in terms of what has driven us into a partisan ditch. And what I'm referring to last night is, of course, the committee that's investigating the events of September, pardon me, of January 6th. Look at that. I almost said September 11th. The committee that's investigating the events of January 6th, having held Mark Meadows in contempt. It really was a significant event, I thought. I, I was, it was 7 p.m. Philly time. So I am in a CNN office as I'm preparing for the 9 p.m. program. And I'm in one of those offices that has flat screens showing the different cable outlets. So I'm able to monitor what's going on on CNN, what's going on on MSN, what's going on on Fox. And CNN and MSN were both covering the hearing of the January 6th committee. Fox News was business as usual. They weren't even touching it. And as I'm sure many of you know by now, yes, Meadows, who initially, and of course Mark Meadows is of interest because he was with Donald Trump on January 6th in the West Wing. He was the chief of staff then. And Mark Meadows, having handed over 9,000 documents and written a book, which has just come out, now all of a sudden draws a line in the sand and says, I'm not going to cooperate anymore. I'm, I'm asserting executive privilege. Lost in all of this, I should say, there probably are some legitimate executive privilege issues being raised by Meadows. I'm not in the weeds on exactly what they are, but I know in the abstract, you know, Congress has a right to investigate. The president has a right to keep certain confidences. They are co-equal and separate branches of government. So it shouldn't necessarily be whatever Congress wants, Congress gets. I recognize, I recognize all that. But Meadows, having started down the road of cooperation, now says, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to cooperate further. Hence, last night in the committee, he was found to be in contempt of Congress for not honoring the subpoena in the same way that uh, Steve Bannon is in contempt of Congress. Although I get the impression that where Bannon loves it, you know, a la Roger Stone enjoys sort of drawing on that attention. I don't get that impression from from Mark Meadows. So Benny Thompson begins the hearing last night at seven o'clock. I took notes. He said, uh, Mark Meadows told us to pound sand on the same day that his book was published. And then things got really interesting when Liz Cheney, one of two Republicans on that committee, the other being Adam Kinzinger, when she took the floor and pointed out, among other things, that 187 minutes went off the clock on January 6th, during which time things were ugly on Capitol Hill and President Trump was refusing to act. And then she said, Mark Meadows, more to the point, because Meadows was the focus last night, Meadows all the while was receiving texts, which he's produced and handed over to the committee. 
evidencing the fact that the White House, and of course they knew what was going on, they were watching television the same way all of us were watching television. But some of those texts that went to Meadows were under siege. They've breached the Capitol. Mark, protesters are storming the Capitol. Someone is going to get killed. Somebody needs to calm this shit down. And she goes on to reveal that the latter that I just mentioned was from Donald Trump Jr. Hey, you know what I thought of? I've got lots of thoughts on this, and don't worry, I'll be uh, making way for your phone calls in due course. But one of the thoughts that occurred to me that I think I said last night, I don't know, but I'm certainly going to say today is, why does Donald Trump Jr. need to go through Mark Meadows? I would think that he'd be able to reach the old man when he needs him. There's something there, maybe, about Trump having been walled off on January 6th. I've always thought he was in that little ante room next to the Oval Office, the room where uh, President Clinton got himself in some trouble, where he monitors television you know, in real time. And my impression has always been, and I talked about this with, with uh, Robert Costa, you know, what was Trump doing the afternoon of January 6th? He was sitting there with a clicker watching all the coverage. But had he stopped taking communication from outsiders? That, I mean, I assume Sean Hannity has his phone number. Why was Sean Hannity going through Mark Meadows? And that was the big part of the story last night. It's that Don Jr., was reaching out for the president, that Laura Ingram reached out through Mark Meadows. You are, you know, you are destroying his legacy. Brian Kilmeade, destroying all that you've accomplished. Sean Hannity, ask people to leave the Capitol. Trump Jr., got to condemn this shit ASAP. I mean, it's a really interesting turn of events, that now we've got the texts that show an awareness by Meadows. He's being contacted by that that close circle of of Trump advisors. And then after Liz Cheney, I, I don't know how many of you watch this, but then after Liz Cheney drops the bomb of the president's mouthpieces were trying to tell him this is really serious, in total contrast, by the way, to the way they've treated January 6th, ever thereafter. Come back to that in a moment. But now it's Adam Schiff's turn. And Adam Schiff reveals texts from GOP members of Congress to Meadows. He didn't reveal their names. We're going to learn their names for sure. So the White House was being bombarded by friends. By friends who were saying this situation is out of control and it's got to be reined in. And nevertheless, there were there was radio silence. 187 minutes goes off the clock. I've said repeatedly, initially, I thought there wasn't much to January 6th in terms of the planning and orchestration. I thought it was Donald Trump, seat of the pants, delivers a speech, fires up the crowd. They go down Pennsylvania Avenue. Some of them storm the Capitol was much more sophisticated than that as I got into last night with uh, with John Carl. And those of you who listen on a regular basis will remember when I interviewed Bob Costa 
Uh, Robert Costa from The Washington Post, who co-authored Peril with Bob Woodward, told us the whole story about Trump leaving Florida uncharacteristically. Wasn't going to be there for New Year's because Bannon told him we can win this thing. And And a lot of events then began coalescing. They were very close to making it work. That's the scary part. And they could make it work the next time if people aren't careful. David Leonhardt has a great thought piece, big picture, that I'll get to in a moment. In case you didn't catch this, this is Liz Cheney last night talking about Fox News. According to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows, and he has turned over those texts. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished, Brian Kilmeade texted. Quote, can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. As the violence continued, one of the president's sons texted Mr. Meadows, quote, he's got to condemn this shit ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough, Donald Trump Jr. texted. Meadows responded, quote, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Still, President Trump did not immediately act. It's so revelatory. Donald Trump Jr. You know, you, you've heard me uh, you re- remember the line from my Hulu special where I say the only people that that I, I meet who see the world entirely through conservative or progressive lenses are the talk radio hosts or cable television pundits with whom I sometimes rub shoulders. And in many instances, I say, I know they don't even believe it. Well, there's the confirmation. CNN plays the events of January 6 on a loop. Fox News never touches it. Today, it's deserving of being on a loop. And it's not even mentioned at Fox. I made sure I saw the 6 a.m. Fox and Friends first 20 minutes. Not a mention. Now, they had the storm, the Kentucky and the Southern and Midwest storm, and that's legit. That's a legit story for sure. Um, but they weren't touching Meadows. Later in the, ca- the broadcast, I did see a very brief mention of Mark Meadows having been held in contempt. And he was on with Hannity last night. But what you won't hear on Fox is the, the you know, calling out of three of their, of their, you know, key personalities. And what's the point? The point is they know how serious the events were of January 6th. The, 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 the criticism is not that Brian Kilmeade and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram reached out for Mark Meadows. That was the right thing to do. Like they did exactly what a friend should do to rein in a friend, to take the car keys. That's what they were doing. My beef is that ever since January 6th, They've treated this like this is just all CNN, MSNBC spin. Nothing to see here, ladies and gentlemen. You know, go go back about your business. 
Sean Hannity last night had Mark Meadows on his program and didn't talk at all about like, like, like how about, you know, maybe Hannity could have said, hey, Mark, remember when on January 6th I sent you a text and so did Laura and so did Brian and so did all the. No, that wasn't even a part of their conversation. Instead, it was all about what a sham this investigation and that particular hearing was. Um, first, I guess I'll get your reaction to the January 6 vote 9-0 to now go before the House. But we already know this is a predetermined outcome. Didn't we learn that when they kicked Jim Jordan and Jim Banks off the committee? Well, we did. Obviously, it's disappointing, but not surprising. And, and and let's be clear about this, Sean. This is not about me holding me in contempt. It's not even about making the Capitol safer. We see that by some of the selective leaks that are going on right now. This is about Donald Trump and about actually going after him once again, continuing to go after Donald Trump. Uh, and, and, and when we look at the real results of this investigation, uh, it, it is not really uh, uh, the foundation is not based on a legislative purpose. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the interpretation of this bias committee, Liz Cheney and company. I love how Liz is now partnered with the people that called their father a war criminal, a murderer and a crook. You get, the, you get the gist, right? Um, so I, I'm now in a pretty interesting position last night because Alyssa Farah is one of the individuals who texted Mark Meadows and texted him and said, people are going to die. Hers was a text very similar to one that Liz Cheney had read aloud. I don't think Liz Cheney was actually reading an Alyssa Farah text, but she may as well have done so. Who is Alyssa Farah? Well, by the way, she's a newly minted. I should tell you this right up front. She's a newly minted CNN contributor. For the last 10 years, she's known Mark Meadows and has worked with him closely in a variety of capacities. She worked for him as a North Carolina congressman. She had some affiliation, spokesperson or otherwise, for the Freedom Caucus. She worked in the vice president's office, and then she was the uh, the comms director at the White House. She left on December 4th. And her version is that she left on December 4th because things were getting ugly and she didn't want to be a part of it. I pointed out last night when I interviewed her that on Election Day, she had made a comment that stuck out in my mind about how Pennsylvania officials had their thumb on the scale. I didn't like that because that sounded a lot like what the Trump folks were saying in in laying the predicate for the election is about to be stolen. But okay, she claims that she had an epiphany moment and wanted to get out of there. And then was working the Georgia Senate races and on January 6th found herself in Florida like the rest of us watching on TV. And that she was alarmed by what she saw so that she reached out for Mark Meadows, texted him in the same vein as the Fox personalities and the Republican members of Congress trying to get him to do something. She also told me that she tried to reach the president. Since she left the White House, the president has portrayed her as a bit player. We never put her out, yada, yada, yada. You know, typical of of, of the way when you step out of that White House, all of a sudden it becomes a blanking contest. Um, But I thought this was a really interesting exchange that I had with her. And she's like right in the thick of this because she's one of the people who reached out for Meadows on January 6th. Listen. 
So I was down in Florida. I was advising the Georgia Senate runoffs. I'd left the White House, as you said, about a month prior. And I was horrified. I spent years working in the Capitol. I spent a lot of time in the Capitol when I worked for Vice President Pence, who, of course, is the president of the Senate. And knowing that he was there having these threats made against his lives, as well as Speaker Pelosi, other members of Congress, and knowing they were in imminent danger was, I mean, it was horrifying. We all remember that day very well. Um, as, as, you know, as you mentioned in your lead up, I was one of the people who sent a text message to Mark Meadows. Um, and I very clearly stated, if the president, if President Trump won't go out and condemn this, you should. And I fundamentally believe that every person in the White House or around him who had a platform and a voice to speak out had an obligation to speak out on January 6th, I think even if I they can could put, just marginally pull. I think I can put on the screen a text that you may lay claim to. So let's take a look at it together. I don't know if you have a screen that you can see this. One former White House employee reportedly contacted Mr. Meadows several times and told him, you guys have to say something. Even if the president's not willing to put out a statement, you should go, flipping to the next part, to the cameras and say, we condemn this. Please stand down. If you don't, people are going to die. Is that your text? That is my text. And Michael, what's so horrifying in retrospect and hearing you read that back is that was about an hour before Ashley Babbitt died. And it was a few hours before we learned that Officer Sicknick died. There was a window where people of good conscience could have spoken up and stopped the violence. David Leonhardt for The New York Times published before the events of last night a really good big picture view under the headline America's Anti-Democratic Movement. American politics these days can often seem fairly normal. President Biden has had both big accomplishments and big setbacks in his first year, as is typical. In Congress, members are haggling over bills and passing some of them. At the Supreme Court, justices are hearing cases. Daily media coverage tends to reflect this apparent sense of political normalcy. But American politics today is not really normal. It may instead be in the midst of a radical shift away from the democratic rules and traditions that have guided the country for a very long time. An anti-democratic movement inspired by Donald Trump, but much larger than him, is making significant progress. In the states that decide modern presidential elections, this movement has already changed some laws and ousted election officials with the aim of overturning future results. It has justified the changes with blatantly false statements claiming that Biden did not really win the 2020 election. The movement has encountered surprisingly little opposition. Most leading Republican politicians have either looked the other way or supported the anti-democratic movement. In the House, Republicans ousted Liz Cheney from a leadership position because she called out Trump's lies. That bears repeating every once in a while. Like Liz Cheney, who was just disparaged by Sean Hannity, was removed from leadership because she confronted the things we're now talking about. The pushback within the Republican Party has been so weak that about 60% of Republican adults now tell pollsters they believe the 2020 election was stolen, a view that is simply wrong. Most Democratic officials, for their part, have been focused on issues other than election security, like COVID-19 and the economy. And on and on and on it goes. And then he says, all of which creates a very remarkable possibility. 
In the 2024 presidential election, Republican officials in at least one state may overturn a legitimate election result, citing fraud that does not exist and award the state's electoral votes to the Republican nominee. Trump tried the tactic in 2020, but local officials rebuffed him. Jonathan Carl from ABC News was my guest last night. He wrote one of the, you know, the the big sort of post-election exposés. His is called Betrayal. And I was speaking to him about the developments of last night that I've just summarized for you. Liz Cheney, Mark Meadows, the Fox personalities. And I said to him, I used to think that January 6th was just this haphazard, chaotic, uh, spontaneous, spontaneous event. But I've come to learn from your book and Robert Costa and Woodward's book, I've come to learn about the Eastman memo. And the Ellis memo, you know, legal justification being provided to Trump and his uh, senior aides in an effort to lean on Mike Pence to say, hey, you can do this. You can disregard, throw out, not honor some of the electoral votes of states that are being challenged. And of course, being challenged was Pennsylvania and Michigan, Arizona, Georgia. You don't have to sign off on that. They were also leaning on the Justice Department to look favorably on the Georgia challenge in particular. Leaning on Pence, leaning on Justice, leaning on the Defense Department. I mean, one of the things that has come to light from, from Mark Meadows is, is a, uh, an email that he sent close in time to January 6th saying that the National Guard would protect the pro-Trump protesters. Protect them against against who or whom? Right? Why would they need protection? It's much more nefarious than we ever believed. It's much more nefarious than we ever believed. And now here's the real kicker. And this, this kind of just brings it all full circle. Half the country, half the country will remain totally unaware of what I've just taken 20 minutes to summarize for all of you. Because I watched Fox today. Zero conversation about their personalities correctly being alarmed on January 6th. But they can't tell their audience that because they've been, ever since January 6th, telling their audience that there's nothing to see here about what went on January 6th. That was no big deal. Tucker Carlson, through their streaming service, put out a documentary that whitewashes it. So how could they all of a sudden, I mean, which is it? Is is it that the events of January 6th were no big deal and deserve whitewashing? Or is it that they were so alarming that they necessitated Fox personalities and Republican members of Congress reaching out for Mark Meadows and saying, you got to stop this, get him to do something. But I'm preaching to the choir, because if you're tuned in and listening to someone like me, you're interested You want to know, you're troubled, like I'm troubled. How do we reach, how do we reach the rest of the country? That's really the issue. You know, last night on on CNN, I'm talking to people who, who probably were watching Liz Cheney. They're already in the loop. How do you reach the rest of them? The people that need to be reached have already turned off me and turned off, you know, places where you can find me. 
And I'm much more willing, as you know, to 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 mix it up on both sides. That is the state of affairs. That is the state of affairs. Yeah, last night was a really interesting night. Today will be interesting. Meadows at some point will be held in contempt uh, by the entire. How many Republicans will vote to hold him in contempt? How many Republicans will vote to hold him in contempt? That will be interesting to watch. Uh, I think Peter Navarro comes up tomorrow. He'll be next in all of this. And it will continue to be ignored by a significant swath of the media. Love to hear your thoughts. You have just heard all of mine. I'm at the following number, as usual, 855-486-1776. I'm, I'm asking in the survey question today, will, will Fox reach a point where they do discuss their personalities reaching out? Will you hear an explanation from Hannity where he says, yeah, I reached out for Trump and here's why? I doubt it because that would be a confession of sorts that there was something taking place that needed him to reach out. And just file away that I asked the question, why does Don Jr. need to go through Mark Meadows? I've always figured that that Trump had a personal cell phone and that the family members could get him anytime they wanted to get him. Maybe there was something else going on that day in the White House where he was completely isolated from everybody around him. I don't know, but I'd like to know the answer to that. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds.